0: And welcome to this week's edition of an organic conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Our topic today is the film Blackfish, a new documentary that is currently rolling through the United States and may have already come to your town. Blackfish portrays the life of, in this case, orcas in captivity. Orcas that are trained to do tricks for us in parks such as Waterworld and SeaWorld and many, many others. This documentary brings up the important question about animals in captivity. That our topic today, blackfish or killer whales, an exploration of animals in captivity with a former SeaWorld trainer, Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, joining us today in this hour. You're listening to An Organic Conversation, and we are your hosts, Helga Helbert. Mark Mulcahy. And
1: Sita Rani Palomar. This is going to be a really great show. I'm excited to talk with Dr. Ventry about this. Before we dive into our show, though, it is also a celebratory time. We're looking at the fall equinox. Autumn equinox is right about now. And it's also harvest time. We've got Sukkot, a celebration that's happening Wednesday, September 18th through Wednesday, September 25th. And it is... um, all of these are, are times to give thanks for the bounty of the fields, the bounty of the earth, and our fruit. So, thank goodness for harvest and all it brings us.
0: I love that. I love September. It's um, you know the the late summer, the early fall, winter, but it's the bounty is wonderful, and it is the time, even though farms are really busy, of course, in the middle of harvest right now, um, to put down the hose. And celebrate and really, you know, thank the year because at this point you kind of know how the year went. So um, there are harvest celebrations all over the country now starting. And Wonderful.
1: we did we did a harvest episode um, last year. We also did an episode on Sukkot, <coughs> the holiday, and a handful of other celebrations that yeah, happened eight, this time of year.
0: Eid al-Adha and, of course, Kwanzaa coming up in December again. Every culture is really acknowledging.
1: Yeah, a great exploration of those those food. celebrations when we had our episode. It's number one thirty one on the website, inorganicconversation.com. conversation.com. How Originally do you remember that? October thirty first, twenty eleven. I looked it up. I'm not gonna uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna say I remember.
0: <laughs> yes, two years ago. Um, show number one thirty one at inorganicconversation.com. There's an archive of everything we've ever done in our lives if you want to look it up. Everything um, ever. Yes, the harvest celebrations.
1: But I do appreciate that w- when you said harvest and putting the hose down, is that when we had a hose down episode about a year ago, our guest had said, this is the one time, this is the one day of the year that farmers don't work.
0: Mark, how's the f- produce season
2: right it's, now? It's the best time of year. The whole uh, market is just uh, teeming with you know <laughs> summer and fall items. And it's a little bit cooler, so you don't have to... You don't have to be as quick when you're walking through the market now. You get to kind of saunter a little bit as you're looking at each thing. And the farmer... what, do you,
0: what do you mean by that? In summer, you have to be quicker? Well, if it's because... 90
2: degrees outside, you don't feel like just hanging out. And then, you know, there's more, the more the bees are hanging around, the fresh vegetables and stuff like oh, that. so interesting. And as the temperature cools a little bit, and maybe you get there in the morning or even in the afternoon, if it's only 75 or 80 degrees, it's just a little bit more comfortable for you to kind of stand and talk and with the farmers.
0: Does that also mean post-harvest handling from the, from the field to the truck, from the truck cool to the dock, that's all a little bit? more relaxed because you know as soon as you keep the truck open in 100 degree weather um, the produce starts to wilt in this case it's not quite as hot anymore or
2: well either way on that it's all going to depend on what's going on in the field at that moment it's going to and I think most farms are still going to do their same post-harvest handling as opposed to changing it up it's just sure. that you have to you have a little bit more urgency yes. you know on the farm when it's 100 July. degrees at eight o'clock <laughs> in the morning or something like that Yes. And and you know what I'd like to just quickly mention if you haven't listened to our fresh feature on all of, on on all of your stations now our September fresh feature is about shopping the farmers market you might want to try to catch that you know one of these times that they're playing it a 4 minute fresh feature that we do every month and this time is this month is shopping farmers markets Yeah
0: and farmers markets I mean if you haven't been this year this would be the time to go because again as Mark just said the abundance is just Stunning! The 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 tables are bending, and in the spirit of harvest celebrations, we do want to hear it right from the beautiful woman's mouth, so to say, from the horse's mouth, from the farm. With us now is Drew Rivers, calling in from Guinda in Northern California. Uh, she's the owner of Full Belly Farm, and um, Drew, are you with us? Yes. Hi.
1: Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Drew. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for joining us. We've we've had you on um, a few times already in the last three, four years with updates of what's going on um, in the field, really, throughout the seasons. Um, and it is that time again. We, we just said, you know, throughout the country, harvest festivals are starting. And even though farms are incredibly busy in September, you kind of have a sense of how the year went, if it was a good year or not. And it is the time to put the hose down and, and put your dancing boots on and really celebrate farm life. Um, tell us about the upcoming festival, Hose Down.
3: Well, it's um, held on Saturday, October 5th, and it is just a wonderful event. Um, really just kind of showcasing our farm that's been in business now for almost 30 years, Um, And showcasing the amazing organic agriculture in our valley and also just in all of Northern California, we have uh, farm tours, we've got incredible food, um, dancing, workshops, um, lots of hands-on activities. It is just a day full of fun. (laughs)
1: It reminds me of one of the most fun, like going to see the hay mazes and it's also an outdoor festival and street fair and like every combination thereof. There's fantastic food, there are activities. It's just like, I don't know, it's just the essence of fall for me.
3: Right and lots of pumpkin carving. We carve over four hundred pumpkins that day, and just for kids, it's an unforgettable experience. We've now had kids who've been coming throughout their whole life, and um, oh, you know, grown up coming <laughs> down and they just love it. <laughs> and,
2: and Drew, what's it like there on the farm? what What are What are people going to experience when they when they come out this year?
3: Well, um, there's uh, there's going to be an amazing cover crop uh, maize uh, in our Sudan grass, which is fun for the kids to go through. But the fruit trees, so there's um, lots of pomegranates on the trees right now, persimmons, um, walnuts will just have been harvested, uh, lots of animals. We've got the cow to milk and sheep to year, So, yeah, so much to see on the
0: farm. And what a sweet notion that the people who came as children, you know, 26 years ago as four-year-olds now in its 30th year, um, now adults perhaps bringing their own children. It is really um, that community element which kept you know in this case full belly but most all farms really we d- depend on of course their customer base and their community in so many different aspects um it, it is giving back to the community too right that's it's not a, a farm festival for your staff um you're expecting no. actually a few thousand <laughs> people yes
3: right so the whole event is a fundraiser um every penny gets donated back to over two dozen different agricultural organizations. Um and we really it is almost like the old traditional potlatch where our farm is really just thanking everyone for being a part of our farming community and our customers and it's just, you know, a day of really of real giving actually. Um and we thank everyone that comes for giving to the hose down too because we are able to donate <laughs> money to a lot of groups.
0: Wonderful. Well, it's you so and wonderful. your co-owners and <laughs> Full
1: Belly Farm in general, you guys are leaders and you're making it possible for so many people to do this kind of work in the future. So thank you for what you do and for putting on such a fun event for all of us.
0: And yeah, giving Great. back, giving back from the farm that has fed many of us throughout the year and that is the theme for many, many, many farms throughout the country. So look up Um, Harvest festivals this fall, if you've never gone, uh, please consider going because it is really the merging of community and food and learning about agriculture. But it's it's really a celebration of that food source. So in this case, that's hosedown.org for the Host Down Harvest Festival.
3: We really hope to see everyone on Saturday, October 5th.
0: Great. HoseDown.org. That's Drew Rivers, co-owner of Full Belly Farm. Thanks for all you do throughout the year. And I don't know how you're going to manage putting on such a lovely event while you are still (laughs) full in harvest, but you always do, you and your crew and your your staff and all the volunteers. So big thanks and shout out to them, hostdown.org. Um, and again, if you are not in this part of the country listening to the show, please check out um, Harvest Festivals at Farms in your area and go and support and build that community. Um, lovely. Thanks for joining us today, Drew. Always a pleasure.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. That's Drew Rivers of Full Belly Farm. Um, again, in this hour, we are talking about the documentary Blackfish or Killer Whales, and Exploration of Animals in Captivity with a former seaworld trainer, Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, joining us today in this hour. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark
2: Mulcahy.
1: And I'm Sita Rani Palomar.
0: And we will be right back with more. Stay tuned. We are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy.
1: And I'm Sita Palomar.
0: Our topic in this hour is Blackfish or Killer Whales, an exploration of animals in captivity. Blackfish is a great new documentary, a movie that has may come to your town already, um, that we highly recommend. And we are speaking with a former SeaWorld trainer on the topics. Uh, topic of animals in captivity. But before we get into the show, here's our weekly tip from the world of health and beauty. Here is Chef Sita and her holistic bite.
1: Great. Well, and just a couple of weeks ago, we had a really interesting update from Mark in What's in Season about peppers and how peppers are a abundant and flavorful and really at their peak this time of year and peppers with their sweet flavor really lend themselves well to a little bit of smoky flavor as well. So today in my Holistic Bite, I wanted to give you guys some tips on how to make fire roasted peppers at home. And basically there are two ways to do it. The first way is to start with your clean peppers under the broiler. So if you take the rack in your oven and put it on the highest level possible and you put the broiler on, you get your peppers in there right under the flame and use you know use tongs to open and turn occasionally what you want to do is let that fire blister the skin of the pepper until it's completely blistered, and then you go on to step two. But if you don't wanna use the broiler, what I happen to find to be my favorite and most effective way to do it is to put the pepper over the flame on your gas stove. So the way you're gonna do this is, of course you wanna use tongs, just like you would with the other method, And you need to have a gas stove to do it. It doesn't work in an electric stove. And you want to put the pepper over the grate, the grate that sits over the flame. And basically the pepper is going to sit there in between the, you know, the little fingers of the grate and the flame is going to lick over and and hit the skin of the pepper until it chars it. You don't want to put any oil on your peppers because they're going to be on fire you don't want to do that but you're going to use the tongs to turn the pepper occasionally so that the flame hits all sides all crevices all pieces of this pepper. I have found this to be the most effective way to do it but if you're fire adverse like I said the broiler method works just as well then once the pepper is charred you want to immediately get it someplace to steam and you can do this a couple ways also you can either put your pepper in a bowl and cover that bowl with plastic wrap Make sure the plastic wrap isn't touching the pepper. It's just to trap the steam inside. Or you can put it into a paper bag and seal that paper bag. And what this does is it creates an environment where you can get a pocket between the flesh of the pepper and the charred skin. And that charred skin you will remove because we want the flavor of the smokiness, but we don't want the pieces that we've smoked. They get kind of a, you know, you denature it to a place where it, it it's could become carcinogenic in your body. So... Once you've steamed it, it takes about 10 minutes and you want to make sure it's cool enough to handle and then you're going to peel off those charred layers of the pepper skin. Now there are some chefs who swear that you may not under any circumstances place your pepper under water to remove the skin because they think what you're doing is rinsing that flavor down the sink. In my experience, I've not found that the loss of flavor is really tremendous. So this is completely a personal preference thing as far as I'm concerned. What I recommend to people is that it is it is messier if you have to do it without running water. So if this is the first time, you might wanna try it with running water. It'll make it more likely that you can do this easy, quick and more frequently. And then once that's done, you slice and dice your pepper any way you want or you can stuff it. You can put quinoa, you can put nuts, You can put all kinds of things in your flame roasted pepper. So the flavor is unparalleled. Now is the time they're in season. Do something fun and experiment in your kitchen. And that's this week's Holistic Bite.
0: Thank you, Chef Sita. Sita Rani Palomar. Any way you slice it, it's delicious.
2: I love it. I love it. And actually, this summer, I've been spending a lot of time, my neighbor's been bringing me jalapenos. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, never bought a lot of jalapenos before, just occasionally for a recipe or so. And what I'm doing is I'm just slicing them and taking the seeds out and just sticking them right on a grill. Yeah. Nice. Not too spicy? No, because you're taking the seeds out, you don't get much of the heat, but you get that um, nice spiciness that Sita was mentioning. And because it's grilled, you can just pretty much just eat them. Oh yeah, really. Right you
0: mentioned that before, Mark, in other shows. Anything you grill brings out the sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like cooking, but grilling even more so. Um, so that's interesting, and I, I love shishito peppers. How are they pronounced?
1: Oh, shishito. Sh- yeah, shishito yeah, exactly. peppers.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, or the the tiny ones. The you padrones. Get. Padrones, exactly. Now, some restaurants just serve some padrone peppers grilled with olive oil and some salt, and. Wow, that's a meal. That's a full it is. starter. It's so There's delicious. nothing to it other than you know grilling them, salt and well, olive oil. and delicious. I should
1: I should make a note because the directions that I gave were for your larger peppers. Yes. because you can't really put a jalapeno or a shishito or a padrone on the grill on the grate of your of your gas stove they because it's going to fall through. So this is uh-huh. really for your bell peppers. But if you want to do the little ones, I do recommend doing it on a grill pan if you're going to do it well, on you your can, stove You can top. lay
0: them perpendicularly too. No, on your grill. Uh Yeah, oh yeah, if you have a grill. (laughs) Like spaghetti. Yeah, don't grill your spaghetti. spaghetti. Uh, And don't say you heard that on Organic Conversation. (laughs) You you can grill spaghetti. (laughs) Sticking with peppers. Thank you, Sita. You're listening to an Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sita Rani-Palomar.
0: And we are talking today about the documentary Blackfish that portrays the life of killer whales in captivity at amusement parks throughout the country and the world Our guest today is a former SeaWorld trainer, Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, who's joining us today from Washington. Dr. Jeffrey, are you with us?
4: I am. Hey guys, how are you
1: doing?
0: We're We're good. Thanks for
1: being on the show. Yeah, thanks
0: for making the time. Um, I know you practice um, as a doctor, but uh, you have the insider view on this very topic, our exploration of animals in captivity in this hour. Um, which was prompted by blackfish or killer whales um, the documentary that is now rolling through the country and may have come to a town near you already if you haven't seen it please do so and more information on this show and the film can be found on mag pictures MagnoliaPictures.com forward slash blackfish but we want to start with you jeff
2: okay. so so uh, jeff i've i've been led whale watch trips, and I've been out and had a profound connection with these amazing animals just out on the ocean. But what I'm really intrigued about is, what about your experience as a trainer? You know, how did it feel to work and with them, and what was your connection to these animals? And, and give us a little feel of the real-life world these animals live in.
4: Sure. Well, my connection began as someone that grew up in central Florida with horses and dogs. We'd swim the horses, I always felt a strong connection to animals. I studied biology at Florida State. And kind of naively, I thought that SeaWorld was kind of like this Jacques Cousteau place. I watched a lot of that type of programming as a young kid. So I was attracted to that, having been a biology student. And I got hired and was thrilled to get hired. There's like a honeymoon period that you go through when you're at SeaWorld, just being around these animals. They're highly intelligent. They're large you tend to develop a working relationship with them, and you realize right off the bat that they're they're super smart. They're very um, aware of their environment, and as time moves forward, uh, you start to realize that captivity might not be the best place for them, even though they seem to be, uh, you know, very patient with people and put on a good show for the public. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than you're really aware of when you get hired. But like I said, there's like a couple-year honeymoon period where you're just thrilled to have gotten hired. I'd say less than 5% of the people that try out do get hired, so you feel kind of honored to do that.
2: And, and, and Jeff, so you said you developed a working relationship, but was there a deeper connection to the animals when you worked with them?
4: You know, I would like to believe that, especially when I was there. But in hindsight, you got to realize that, you know, these animals are completely dependent upon the trainers for the delivery of their care, their food every day. And a lot of the behaviors that you see in a show, for example, the animals will appear to shake their head yes and shake their head no, or to protrude their tongue out and kiss you on the cheek. These are all trained behaviors using operant conditioning. So you know, as much as I'd like to think that there was a loving relationship there, I like to call it more of a working relationship because if you were to flip the perspective I don't think any of those animals would choose to be living in a small concrete enclosure like that mm-hmm. so
1: let's talk about that small concrete enclosure I yep. I thought this movie was phenomenal, had such an impact on me. And I and I can go back to being a child and remember when I went to a zoo or when I went to any kind of amusement park that had animals. And there is this feeling of awe when you're standing in the presence of them that is so incredible. And yet there's a feeling of something is not right here. These animals don't live in these kinds of conditions. So, so I want to kind of look at the big picture of, of what's happening with these animals and how it relates to the film, what the film is hoping to accomplish and why. Why this was an important thing to you to be involved in?
4: Well, you know, as I passed through my career, I, I did what are I called I called two tours of duty at Shamu Stadium. The, the very kind of first year that I was there where I was basically a bucket scrubber and I was just kind of enamored with the animals and happy to have the job. And then I went to another facility, the whale and dolphin facility at SeaWorld, where I spent three to four years. And then I also spent a year with the pinnipeds, the sea lions and walruses. And then I came back to Shamu Stadium for my last two years, and what I noticed the second time around was that they had things like, you know, broken teeth. They had collapsed dorsal fins. Um, There were a lot of physical signs that they just weren't completely healthy. They were relatively deconditioned instead of swimming 100 miles a day like they do in the wild. You know, they're basically surface floating or logging or swimming in counterclockwise swim patterns. And so it just seemed not right. And when we would do education shows, um, because I had talked to people like Ken Balcom and Astrid Van Ginneken who were wild animal researchers, I knew that their lifespan was longer than what we were instructed to tell people. You know, I also knew that their natural behavior was to stay in these tight family units for life, and that SeaWorld was basically you know when animals would get to age three or four would ship them off to another park and so you know you try to compartmentalize this thing and and care for the animals that you loved, but there's just something that didn't ring true and after a while it just kinda kinda grates on you and you realize that this is the the things that you're telling students about lifespan and the fact um, they do these things that SeaWorld called tooth flushes I don't know if you guys have seen any of that in the, in the media, but the animals break their teeth on the steel bars that separate them for shows. Like to do a show, you need to bring just one or two animals out front, and the rest are back in the back pools. And these animals do these threat displays at each other where they'll like, charge a gate, and sometimes they uh, bite down on the steel bars, and they'll, they'll break their teeth. And this leads to kind of a barbaric, like, root canal procedure that the vets do where they bore out the core of the tooth, the fleshy core of the tooth, because that will become infected if they don't. And so the animals get three teeth flushes a day, almost all of them. And when, so when you're out flushing their teeth out, the guests are asking you what, what's going on. And we were told to tell the guests that this was superior dental care, but we were leaving out the part of them breaking their teeth because they're living in concrete and steel enclosures. So things like that just didn't sit right with some of the trainers after a while, and and that's why some of them leave.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, former SeaWorld trainer in this hour on Blackfish, a new movie as we are exploring the um, the topic of animals in captivity. Uh, Blackfish, a uh, very heartfelt documentary. Um, a portrayal of life of killer whales um, in captivity at amusement parks throughout the country and the world.
1: And Jeff, so one of the things that I recall from the film as you're talking about this is the aggression of the animals on each other too because you talk about the raking, or I think I'm saying it correctly, right, the teeth raking where you would see scratch marks or what looked like scratch marks and even bleeding down the bodies of the killer whales because they were actually... They were encountering one another in an aggressive way and running their teeth along the bodies of the people they or the animals that they live with because they're not the same animals that they would have lived with in the wild. They're not family. They're actually, they're they're in competition or,
4: sure, that's a hierarchy. Yeah, they're you know, as we know now from science, real science, which is not what's going on at Steel world, These animals live in very tight nuclear families, and they, basically, their home is their family. And when you import animals, whether they're caught from the wild or purchased by SeaWorld or bred at another park and brought into a different social structure, they're basically dropped in as an outsider. And this creates a lot of social strife, and this uh, contributes to the teeth breakage that I was just telling you about. These animals don't get along. They use the raking of each other to kind of establish dominance, as well as these displays called jaw popping where they break their teeth so yeah the fact that these animals are kind of just like mixed up into what are not families um, adds to the social strife and this has even led to you know animals dying in captivity for example in august of 1989 a uh, candu uh, rammed corky in sea world of san diego she fractured uh, her jaw and this sliced an artery in her head and she bled out in about 45 minutes in front of a bunch of people. So, you know, that's got to be a hard way to to go down. And this is a direct byproduct of two things. Number one, social strife. And number two, in the wild, the animals can simply swim away if there's tension. And when you're living in a small concrete enclosure, like any marine park, um, you just can't get away.
0: Yeah, the, the film also documents the deadly attack of a killer whale on a trainer. And um, it was interesting to watch in the movie that and there's not one documented single case of an attack of a killer whale uh, in the wild on humans. Is that still the case
4: that, that's the case. in fact, you know, I now live in Washington state, and um back when I was still a, a seaWorld trainer, and this is one of the precursor events that actually set up the making of the film, I was asked to participate in wild orca research and and so I've been out on the water with killer whales many, many times, including in kayaks, in rowboats, on sailboats, and in motorboats, and killer whales basically ignore humans in the wild. A friend of mine, Dr. Ingrid Visser in New Zealand, swims with these animals all the time, as do other scientists all over the world, and they simply don't mess with people. Yet when they're put in this contrived environment, which is I.E. world or marine land up in Canada or or Laurel Parquet in the Canary Islands of Spain, they just at, behave differently. And you had a whale, Quito, a SeaWorld whale, kill Alexis Martinez in uh, December uh, of 19, 2009. And then 60 days later, Tilikum killed Dawn at SeaWorld of Florida. So, yeah.
0: We want to talk about the alternative um, with you, Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, who's joining us today uh, from Washington, a former SeaWorld trainer and uh, biologist. Um, people want to see animals they want to learn there's an educational argument that is being made which um, you know whether we agree with or not we do want to hear your perspective of what could alternatively be done um, when we come back right after the break you're listening to an organic conversation I'm Helga Helberg I'm Mark
2: Bukahi.
1: and I'm Palomar.
0: our topic today an exploration of animals in captivity blackfish a new documentary more information on mag for magnolia magpictures.com forward slash blackfish um, Jeff stay with 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 us. We'll be right back with more.
5: Are you a chef? Have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue.
6: We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit EarlsOrganic.com.
3: Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org.
6: Working from home is awesome, except when it's not. (laughs) If you're working from your couch or your coffee shop, chances are you're not your most productive. For thousands of entrepreneurs, co-working is the answer. Next Space is a co-working company with offices in L.A. and the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Find an innovative workspace, a built in community, and great networking opportunities at NextSpace. Visit nextspace.us for more information. NextSpace, your best work, happens here.
3: You look like you're in another world, but I can read your mind.
4: How can you be so far away?
0: And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helbert I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm
1: Sitarani Palomar.
0: Our topic today is Blackfish, an exploration of animals in captivity. This hour dedicated to the documentary Blackfish, which portrays the life of killer whales in captivity at amusement parks around the world. With us is Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, former trainer at SeaWorld. And also a biologist, um, Jeffrey. Before the break, I was I was asking about the notion of the general notion of animals in captivity. Um, I just returned from a trip to Kona, uh, Hawaii, the Big Island, and there's the Hilton Waikoloa Village um, that has, I would think, a dozen, maybe fourteen del- dolphins in a. Um, in a in a tank the size of a you know of a pool maybe twice the size of a pool but right. all they do is circle around the the water's way too um, shallow and this is by no means even though there are signs that say exactly what what um, you and other people at sea world have educated uh, visitors about that this is you know preferred teeth cleaning, of course, these signs say this is more water than these animals need, but I know that just over the dam thirty years uh, thirty yards um, on the you know going west is the Pacific Ocean, and that is their environment so it just and it is heartbreaking since those are mammals, um, but really for all animals, uh, what is your take on animals in captivity, whether they are kept for tricks? Um, in in circuses, uh, or water parks, or even in zoos, when we see you know tigers at a at a park in Canada where there's snow around and this is not their normal environment, or a giraffe or an elephant, it just seems so fundamentally wrong from my perspective. But is there is there a, a place where that still can take, or what would be an alternative um, picture?
4: Well, I, I agree with your take completely. In general, captivity is inhumane. For most mammals, and in this case, size does matter. So killer whale is probably the least suited animal that I can think of to be in a captive environment. I mean, elephants come to mind as well, but there are some facilities that are kind of like open ranges and stuff like that where they're now retiring elephants, where they have a relatively larger range to travel in daily. But places where elephants are, like, chained up to poles and stuff like that is completely inhumane. If you go to zoos and you see big cats, for example, exhibiting stereotypic behavior, where they're just pacing back and forth. That is really inhumane. In general, captivity for cetaceans is inhumane. But I do see some role for places like SeaWorld, for example, as a rehab and release type facility. There are plenty of animals that get beached and need medical care. I could see a place like a Shamu Stadium in Orlando being used to house not just dolphins, but any type of injured marine mammal where the vets could come in and maybe nurse it back to health and then release it. They've got a jumbo chon screen there. They could show videos of this particular animal. They've got sound systems and everything already in place to educate people. Another point to bring up is that children absolutely love dinosaurs, but there's never... They've never seen one. So I think there's alternatives to what I call the sea circus, and I don't use that in an inaccurate, belittling way. I mean, if you go to Shamu Stadium, all three of them in Orlando, San Antonio, and San Diego, they are directly derived from the ancient Roman circus. They even look like the Roman circus with the the Greek architecture in Orlando. So I think it's time to move away from the sea circus environment and get down to some real education. One of my biggest beefs with SeaWorld is the fact that they use corporate propaganda instead of scientific facts. They think that if they say it enough times and say it loud enough, then it becomes reality. And this comes into play when they give core information, like you saw in Blackfish, about the longevity of the animals and about the collapsed dorsal fins. All that stuff is to help reconcile the fact that these animals are in captivity and give the impression that they live as long or longer in captivity. We simply know that isn't the case, and I think that using technology, animatronics, Pixar, videos, rehab and release, all these different methods can be used to educate our children.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because, um, you know, this show is... Um, to a large degree focused on food production and relationships and agriculture, even though the oceans and our, our relationships in all parts of life matter to us as much. And so we, we give ample airtime for really anything that we feel is out of balance and must be brought into balance. But, um, you know, when, when we see advertisement and food production, um, that is already bad enough. If if you have a sea park and somebody tells a six-year-old that that killer whales live 25 years, that child will believe from then on that killer whales live 25 years, as documented in the film. In in um, in the real world, in, in all honesty and in nature, uh, you were able to find that they live 80 to 90 years. Is that correct?
4: That's correct. I think the average age of a female is in the 50s. The average age of males is over 30, but they can live. There's J2, uh, uh, one of the animals in the San Juan Islands. It's 102 years old right mm-hmm. now. So they can their life trajectory, is what they call it, can be very, very long, and uh, males over 60, essentially human lifespans. One thing that we've also found is that um, female killer whales experience menopause around the age of 40, and the fact that they have such a long post menopausal puzzle lifespan is because they serve as the the carriers, the holders of the wisdom. They're the, it's a matriarchal society, and J2 Granny, 102 years old, she's not only just a, a member of her pod, she's the matriarch of the pod. So she's the one that leads them to salmon, for example, and keeps them safe and takes them out to sea when they need to do that, and so on and so forth. So and they've it- got these super long life trajectories, and uh, it's evident with their post-menopausal lifespan. hundred
0: years of experience brought into the pod exactly. right there.
1: Yeah, that was something I really loved about the movie, was diving into the sophistication of their social circles and their emotional lives. I think that that's really incredible, and it helps give us uh, an idea about what's being done to these very, very sensitive
0: beings. And intelligent. It's MagPictures, MagnoliaPictures, macpicturescom forward slash blackfish.
2: So okay so obviously you'd like us to see the movie or you'd like the our listeners to see the movie. Uh we've already seen it. And and once they potentially get motivated or learn some different things about what we're talking about today, what else can people do to uh support the cause of you know not having animals in captivity?
4: That's right. Well, first of all, the great thing about Gabriella's 83-minute film is that it has it's getting such broad release, you know, global release right now. So this topic is just now touching whole new demographics, so you know we're we're not through trying to extend the reach of it. Um, I, you, you all might know that it's coming to cable TV on CNN on October 24th, and one thing that we're trying to promote, uh, I'm I'm a part of a group called Voice of the Orcas, so the former trainers in the film. We're trying to get uh, people to watch it on cable television on October 24th, and we're using a hashtag called Blackfish Party. To get the word out. But other things that people can do is simply uh, educate themselves into some basic rules of the road. For example, the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972 specifically states that these animals are of the public trust and can only be kept in captivity if real education and research is going on, and that simply isn't happening. So people can become familiar with what the rules of the road are they can vote for progressive politicians I i don't want to get into politics but there is a correlation between how people vote and how they feel about captivity the blackstone group is a very uh... conservative g o p uh, money-making group that isn't interested in the welfare of the killer whales are interested in creating dividends for their stockholders. So, so uh,
0: if it's prohibited under the Marine Protection Act of 1972, why is there not a fund that would um, pay enough for a lawyer group to shut them down?
4: I think that because, in at least in the United States and probably globally, corporations have so much influence on the politicians, it's hard to get anything done. I mean, I I would contend that SeaWorld is in violation of the Marine Mammal Protection Act, but there's no one that's enforcing that. I would also contend that Lolita, the lone killer whale at the Miami Seaquarium, is in an undersized pool that the government will not enforce the rule on. I mean, she's living in violation of the standards that have been put forward into law and has been living there for 40 years. I mean, she would be a great candidate for release because we know that she's a member of the Southern Resident group up in the Pacific Northwest. Her mother is still alive. Her siblings are still alive, and yet she sits there in a pool that's, uh, by law, undersized. So I, I think getting the laws enforced is important. I think voting for progressive leaders is important, and I think people. Getting involved on a grassroots level is really important. There's a lot of things people can do. What I think is going to be a pivotal point in the future, there's a group called the Non-Human Rights Project. and It's led by an attorney named Steve Wise, who is going to file the first court case this fall involving a chimpanzee. And what the Non-Human Rights Project is trying to do is get non-human personhood status mm-hmm. attached to certain species of animals, including chimps and cetaceans. Yes. And and that will remove the notion that they are property and give them some basic legal rights, one of which is not to be confined or imprisoned.
1: It's so great to hear you say that. We actually had Stephen Wise on earlier this year talking about the Non-Human Rights Project, so it's really good to have that reiterated here because we believe it is such important work, as do you, and we're so grateful that you made time to share with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.
0: That's Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, um, former senior trainer at SeaWorld and part of the Blackfish movie, um, also part of Voices um, of the Orcas, uh, a a nonprofit that... You guys started, former SeaWorld trainers. Thank you for all your incredible work, um, Jeff. And oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we'll we'll stay on that topic and perhaps have you back when when we know the last SeaWorld-like institution has been shut down or turned into a rehab center. Wouldn't that be lovely?
4: That would be great. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys.
0: An exploration of animals in captivity, blackfish, That's, again, Dr. Jeffrey Ventry, and more information on the movie can be found at magpictures.com forward slash blackfish. Wonderful documentary, not easy to watch, but such important work. Coming up here at an organic conversation is What's in Season, an update on the world of produce with our very own, I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: Stay tuned for more.
1: Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry
5: Vineyard's Mendocino County Award-winning wines, without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's f R E Y W-I-N-E.com.
4: Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
0: Life's a game, and so is work. And just like any game, sometimes your team is in a slump. Maybe it's a new team, maybe there's conflict, maybe you're under pressure to keep up with your own success. Whatever it is, it is time to get your game phase on. The Ultimate Game of Work combines game design with executive coaching to create high-engagement workplaces. Boost your team's creativity and performance by designing the game you want to play and win together with the Ultimate Game of Work. Enticed? Learn more at ultimategameofwork.com dot com.
6: Are you committed to green, socially responsible and sustainable business practices? Percepticon can help with eco-friendly internet solutions, website design services, e-commerce solutions, mobile apps and high-performance internet hosting for your business. Percepticon is a full service agency that specializes in web consulting, strategy and technology development so you can successfully communicate with your audience. Lighten your tech footprint in a green hosting environment. Call Percepticon today at 925-937-9000 or visit them at percepticon.com we a to the roof, we can see heaven Go up the ladder to the roof where we can be closer to heaven. Stay with me, stay with me.
0: <laughs> and we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm
1: Sitarani Palomar.
0: And yes, this is the moment of an update of what's going on in the world of produce. Here's our very own Mark Mulcahy with What's in Season.
2: Well, and what's in season is Earl Herrick, who uh, has been gone for a few weeks, but we decided to bring him, we decided to bring him back once he was going to start talking about heirloom tomatoes. so uh, Earl, heirlooms. what's going on with heirlooms right yeah,
5: now? Yeah, Let me loose. Um, well, tomatoes, tomato season heirloom. A lot of people, I know for me and many of the people that I hang with, we want to eat tomatoes, and I find myself having to stop and wait because you want to eat them now. And isn't June, can we have tomatoes now? Well, the tomato season just starts later. I mean, it takes a while to ripen a local tomato. And we are in the season right now. It's, it's actually toward the end of it, if you will. And the heirlooms for us, for Earl's Organic and many of the folks in the Bay Area, it is a prime element that you wait for all year. And this year, Is is a particular type of year in terms that it has not been, it hasn't been a real good year. Uh, The weather, as as generally the case, has played a big portion of that. And that is that we had a lot of heat, which uh, created a lot of stress in the tomatoes. Uh, It happened at a time where blooms started to fail because you get you get temperatures of like 100 degrees for a couple days, and nothing's going to be happening. Mm. The the plant is actually going to stop so production is lower has been lower prices were a little higher um so that's the main thing there there's lots of other elements to talk about
2: though what about what about quality what about the quality of the fruit i mean we may not be getting as much and the price may have been higher this year but as we're fading out of the season Mm -hmm. um obviously we're going to recommend that people go out and get them now but so what about what's the quality like well, the quality has actually been
5: good, and, and it's different because in a year like this with a lot of heat, you have the opportunity of getting number two product, which in an a heirloom is going to be cracking around the stem. So even though uh, it, it may not be as pretty, uh, if you buy it and use it right away, there's nothing wrong with that product at all. And you can generally get it for a dollar or two less. So if the market is Three ninety nine, four ninety nine, maybe two ninety nine. If you're lucky, you could get something for a dollar a pound or two dollars a pound.
2: With oh, with a, with number a number two. two. Mm-hmm. With a number two. And and the <laughs> thing to remember about those number twos is it's okay for heirlooms to crack as long as that crack is sealed. If it's open, then you don't want to buy that tomato. That's that's a really key thing when you're buying heirlooms. Huh. So what do you when
5: you say seal then you, you want to make sure it's not moldy at all.
2: Yeah, that's, you want to make sure deal. that it's not a fresh open crack that it's actually cuz like it'll wet. it'll seal
0: it's itself off. Looks like skin again, like young skin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it'll,
5: it'll just have kind of like a um, a mark. You know, right around the stem end, it'll it, what we call as a cat face. Think of the cat whiskers; yeah, so they spread out like whiskers.
0: It's good to have a mark. I <laughs> noticed yeah, and that. A, we have who a Who has a cat face? How do you how do you guys pick him, Mark? What's your h- hottest idea of like? Wh- how do you make sure? Do you taste them in the store? Is that really the always. only way? Always,
2: always, I always ask for someone to pull out their knife, but B- also bouquet
0: is big, right? They well,
2: keep... s- scent is, scent is really big, especially on tomatoes. You should it should smell like summer. It should smell a little grassy. It should should smell a little like dirt. It should have a little fruitiness to the, you know, to the whole pile of heirlooms that you're smelling. It's really important. If it doesn't, the flavor isn't going to be there.
5: You also want to look at color. It should have a real deep, rich, full color. Even if it's a, a green or a yellow tomato, you still want it to be kind of pushing out on the edge of that color base, real rich and and full.
0: And I always love your idea, Earl. If if they're really good, if you find Um, You know, a basket that you love. If you go back and that's still the same farm, the still basket, the same, you know, shipment, get Mm -hmm. 10 baskets and freeze them or make tomato sauce because that that tomato sauce will blow you out of the water come December when those for sure are no longer there, Mark.
2: Yeah, and actually if you're going to get 10 baskets, you better make sure you deal you deal with them soon cuz they right? only last a couple of days and you want to keep them you, know, you right. know in your house on Good. the counter. In the coolest part, your kitchen may not be the coolest room, so you don't want to necessarily always keep them in the kitchen if that's the hottest room of the house during the summer. You want to keep point. them around 65 degrees. Cool. So know well, anyway, that's got me
1: excited. Yeah, I'm ready me too. for some heirlooms. It's about <laughs> time. <laughs> so, Earl,
2: as always, this time just yes. goes too fast. And so we're just going to uh, have to wait to kind of catch up with you a little bit more next week. But it's so okay. great to have you back on the show. And thanks for getting us excited talk. about heirlooms. Well, carry that all the way through. Go out there
5: and buy some. Uh, it's great to hear your voices again. Okay. Yes,
0: and sure. if you, if you do Thanks, want a Sarah. flat of tomatoes and you are close mm-hmm. to uh, San Francisco, you can go to Earl's Organic, of course, uh, right yes. at the produce dock in San Francisco, and you can get that wholesale price of an entire flat of heirloom tomatoes, yes? And well? we have a
5: great selection right now.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thanks so Thanks, much for Sarah. being part of the show. To always. you. Thank you. Take care. Bye
5: now.
1: Great, thank you, Mark. Also, what a packed show!
0: Yeah, watch that movie Blackfish and eat some heirloom tomatoes. <laughs> Bo- both like is important. <laughs>
2: Sounds like an evening, maybe add yeah. a little timely. popcorn. <laughs> 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 absolutely, perfect, lovely.
0: Yeah, this is and and of course check out harvest celebrations near you. We had Drew Rivers on the show in the beginning with an update of what's coming up at Full Belly. That's hosed down org, the 26th annual celebration of community and and harvest and the land and the vegetables and this time, this time of fall celebrations. Lovely.
1: Well, happy equinox, happy Sukkot, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation.
4: broken hearted people